those? I know we have a few around here. She'll bring you one. We finished up uh, the first chapter of Second Peter. And uh, that uh, we started off at, we, we read the scripture where we know that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, to live a holy life in him. Uh, we have the exceeding great and precious promises that he's given us. Uh, promises of, so many different promises in the scriptures that if we come out from the world and be separate, he would receive us. That if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. Uh, that um, he causes us to, to overcome um, many, many great promises in the word. God wants us to have those and all things work together for good to those who love, love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Great promises in God's word. Uh, and we, we also saw that that we're to add that we were to add to our faith virtue and virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, uh, patience, brotherly kindness, and, and so forth, and brotherly kindness, love, charity. Uh, and he says, if you have these things, that you will abound, and that uh, you will bring forth fruit unto the Lord. But he that lacks these things is blind, and he cannot, cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he, his sins were purged, that he was cleansed from his sins. Uh, so we, you don't want to be blind because the Bible says in, in Luke chapter 6 that the blind lead the blind. They both fall into a ditch. So these things must be in your life in order to have salvation, uh, to be able to have that light. So uh, when you come to that place in Christ where there's a true brokenness in your spirit, a true uh, repentance where you've turned and you've changed your mind from the old way that you live unto the new way to live, then uh, you, you obtain those things in the Lord and you walk in those. You're no longer impatient. You no longer uh, or hate hate people or have unloving um, mannerism to you. you. You have these things and you abound those. And keep in mind, it says you purge from that. You if you lack these things, you purge. You've forgotten that you've been purged. You've been cleansed from your old sin. And and that kind of tells you that you know it's it's not that you sin in the future that you're cleansed from. It's the sin in the past that you're cleansed from. And God always gives us a choice that we can either continue with with Him or we can walk away. And if you walk away, you're coming into a dangerous condition because we know the scripture says in Hebrews 10, 26 that if we, uh, if, if, if we turn away, if we walk away from the Lord, there remains no more sacrifice for our sin uh, in the Lord. So we want to walk with God and walk in his promises. So this is the entrance that God has given us into his, dear, into his kingdom. Um, we also got into 2 Peter chapter 2. And uh, it talks about that we would be a, that there are false prophets among us who come in privately denying, speaking damnable heresies, false doctrines, teaching uh, and believing that uh, that they that they were not bought by a price by, by the cross, but that their that they, their lives uh, that the Lord bought them, and they deny that and bring in damnable heresies and destruction to the body of Christ. And the way you deny that the Lord has bought you is by living for the world. If you uh, really believe that you've been bought by the price of Calvary, which 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says he bought you when he purchased a, us on the cross, then you're really uh, living for yourself, and you're not regenerated, and you don't have eternal life and an eternal destiny in the Lord. But there's false teachers, he said, and he warns us of those that would come in, that would teach false doctrines and false heresies. Uh, bringing in damnable heresies. And he says, many shall follow their immoral ways. 
uh, by reason of, of whom the way of truth, those that walk in the truth, by reason, by the way, we're spoken evil of. You know, like you don't really need to live like it. You don't really need to live holy. Because as a Christian, you are different. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that you're a chosen generation. You're a peculiar people. We don't live for this world anymore. We've turned, turned our lives over to the Lord to be regenerated, and we don't walk as we walked before in the lust and the fulfillment of the flesh. Galatians 5.24 says, Those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. It's not they're going to do it. If you're in Christ, you have done that. So it's not a battle, a battle of it anymore. When we come together, we come together as saints in God that have walked in holiness. So the first steps, the first elementary steps in coming to the Lord and, and having a relationship with the Lord is, first of all, a broken and contrite spirit. He said he will no wise cast out. So what a broken and contrite spirit is is when you realize that you have missed the mark, that you have sinned, and that the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life. And that when you miss the mark, that you're not going to make it, and you have a broken heart, you realize, man, I've, I've got to make things right. Proverbs 16.6 6 says, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So you, you understand that, hey, if I don't cut these things out of my life, like the Lord said, he says, uh, if your hand offend you, cut it off. If your eye offend you, pluck it out. That means if there's something in your life that's holding you up from living for the Lord with all your heart, Get rid of it. He said, because it's better to go to heaven with one arm than go to hell with two. It's better to go to heaven with one eye than go to hell with two. Get rid of that. You know, be, be desperate in your faith to really want this. The biggest thing that I see today a lot is, is that a lot of people just don't have enough desire. They don't have the desire to really walk with God. And I think the reason they don't have desire, Brian, is that they don't have the fear of God. They, they even either tune it out like they're, like they're never going to die or they're never going to face God and they th or they think they just have plenty of time. And so many people we see, especially now, we see people dying left and right. Nobody has promised tomorrow. He said that life is like a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. And you're going you're to stand there. Each one of us, the Bible said, is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. To be judged for those things that we've done in our body, whether they could be good, good or bad. Imagine that. Standing all alone, face to face with God. And we, but when you're standing there, the Bible says to those who are in darkness, he will come like a thief. That time will come like a thief in the night. What, how does a thief in the night come? It comes when you least expect him. So say he came. And you're, in, you're in your situation and you're standing before God and you're wishing you could have went back and changed things, but it's too late. See, now is the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, now is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable time. Don't wait. We well, you say, well, you're scared. Well, I hope I do because <laughs> you'll depart from evil. But you've got to realize you don't, you're not promised tomorrow. And, the, and that's why the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, seeing that we compass the battle, surrounded with so many cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. Get rid of that thing so that you can stand before God clean and the Lord can say, come in, my good and faithful servant, because you walked, you were faithful, you were blameless, you made that turn, and you'd be so happy because you live for eternity, never to go back. So that's why we're all here tonight. 
Because we want to obtain salvation. We want to walk with the Lord. We want to live for the Lord for eternity. And a lot of people think, well, and I know I did back when I was young, uh, younger and stuff. I used to think, well, man, I don't want to be cut out of all this. I want to go party. I want to go play. I want to go do all these things. But because I didn't realize how wonderful it was to live in Jesus Christ. When you're in Jesus Christ, you don't really want all this. You're so happy in the way that you are, whether you're young or you're old, because you're content. You're happy. You don't need anything. You don't want anything. You're just like, I've got everything with Jesus. I've got it all. You know, and he says, if I seek him first in his kingdom, Matthew 6.33, then all these other things will be added to me. I don't have to worry about anything. All I do is I just trust God. Like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't try to figure it. Lean that on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he'll what? He'll lead and direct your path. That's another great, exceeding great, precious promise that he promises here in 2 Peter chapter 1. I also know as a Christian that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and call to according to his purpose. If I'm living in the Lord and I'm loving the Lord and obeying his commandments, because if I love him, I obey him, then I know that everything in my life, no matter what it looks like at the time, will work out for good to those who love the Lord. It's going to work out for good. But if I'm not, then all I can, I can expect is calamity. We're going to get into a story in a little while, but I just want to give you a little prelude of the story. The scripture says in the book of Revelation chapter 2, that there was a church, he was talked to the three, to, to, uh, to seven churches there. One of the churches he was talking to, he says, you have those that teach the doctrine of Balaam. He's te you're teaching his, what he taught. When the children of Israel were going through the land, of, when the, going toward the land of promise, and they were going through the wilderness, they were going through and God was just causing them just to have victory over victory over victory on the, of the enemy. And they were just, their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. They didn't run out of food. They, everything was like the Lord just took care of them when they trusted him and when, 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 they, when they were walking through the wilderness. And the enemies became, after they heard so many times that, the, that as Israel was coming through, that the Lord was giving them the victory and, and, and he was just annihilating everybody around them, that there was a group called the Moabites. And the Moabites heard that the Israel was coming through and they were scared that they were going to take their land and destroy them. So they called this guy that was supposed to be a prophet at the time, and his name was Balaam. Well, old Balaam was a prophet, and Balak was, the, was basically the king of the Moabites. And he, call, he sends, to, he sends his, his leaders to go and get Balaam. He says, go get him. I want him to come, and I want him to pray to his God, and I want him to prophesy a curse on Israel so that they won't come and, and destroy us. So they go to Balaam, his, his leaders, and they go there, and they say, Balaam, Balak wants to come. To, wants you to come and listen. He's going to really. He's going to fix you up. I mean, he's going to give you so much money. He's going to give you everything you want. You know, he's going to. You, you're going to be like next to him in the kingdom. I mean, he made him all these promises. He said, "All you got to do is just come curse Israel." And so Balaam said, "Well, let me let me pray about that." So he goes and prays, and God says, "No, these are my people. They're blessed, and I will not. You know, I will not have you curse Israel." So they, they went on, and then they came again and asked him again, and he said, and, and he prayed to the Lord, and said, Lord said, man, if you want to go, go, you know, you go, like, don't go, but, you know, anyway, and so Balaam said, he knew he had a lot to gain financially, so he says, okay, I'll go, I'm going to go, tell the guy. So he got his donkey and saddled it up, and, and uh, he begins to go there, and, and uh, he's trying to go through these, this place, these two caves, like, and it was kind of narrow, 
And as he was going through, the donkey just stopped his donkey. And he's like, you know, trying to get up, get up, whatever. And the donkey wouldn't go. And he starts hitting the donkey. And the donkey still wouldn't go. And then, then he, started beating, he started beating on it. And then the donkey took and rubbed his leg up against the sidewall and hurt, hurt uh, Balaam's uh, leg. And so he did. He said, hey, man, if I had a, a sword, I'd kill you right here. You know, he was mad at that old donkey. You know, and then, then he tries to get him finally to go again, and the donkey just <laughs> lays down underneath him. You know, he just, just lays on the ground. And he's just like, ready, curses. And then all of a sudden, the donkey starts talking to him in English. Yep. You ever have a donkey talk to you in English? Well, not English. Okay, he was talking to him in Hebrew. Jill's, Jill's technical in detail. So it wasn't English, okay? But it was, it was in the language that he understood. And, he, and the donkey told him, he says, why are you beating me like this? You know, I'm, 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 I'm doing what I'm saying. Haven't I served you all my life? The donkey says, why, why are you beating me? You know, you beat me three times. He's in, and all of a sudden, Balaam's eyes got open. And he saw the angel of God standing there with a big sword. That's why the donkey wouldn't go. Because the donkey, the angel was standing in front of the donkey. And the donkey wasn't going when that guy had that sword. And, and uh, so the, the man says to, or the angel says to Balaam, he says, he says, you know, he says, your donkey saw me and he stopped. And you beat him three times and wanted to kill him. If your donkey wouldn't have stopped and kept coming, I would have saved you, donkey, and I'd have killed you. So your donkey saved you. Jill likes that story, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and 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 so anyway, as the story goes, he goes to it. He goes. He goes anyway. He goes, takes off and he goes to to the Moabites. And um, Balaam takes him up. Balak, the king of Moab, takes him up on this mountain, and, and he begins to make the sacrifices to animals and does all this. And he prays to God, and then he starts to to speak curse on Israel. But God turned it into a blessing. He says, blessed be Israel, blessed be their feet that they walk in, blessed be everything of Israel. And in the veil, it's like, no, 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 I told you to curse them. You're blessing them. And he takes them over and says, let's go try on the other side. So he went to the other side. You know, he said, okay, now, now, let's, let's do it again. Okay, so they kill all the animals again, et cetera. And he said, okay, now, curse Israel. Blessed be the feet of Israel. Blessed be of this land. May everything on the earth bless Israel. He says, no, man, what are you doing? He said, finally, get it one more time. He says, you got you to gotta do it, you know. And, and every time, God would just bless Israel. He turned the curse into a blessing. And then, Bala, then Balaam says, I know what to do. I know what will get them. This is the doctrine of Balaam. He said, you send some women down there and tempt them. And they'll sin against you. He said, then God will curse them if they sin. So that's what they did. They sent a bunch of women to lure them into having fornication. And they went down there and they did that. And Israel got cursed. And a big plague came on Israel. And that's a good story about how when you walk with the Lord, the Lord's going to bless you. But when you don't, if you start giving in to the temptation of the doctrine of Balaam, the temptation of the devil, to go fornicate or to go commit some kind of sin. You think, think you're getting away with it. Those Israelites did, thought they did, but thousands of them died that day. Matter of fact, they had, they had one guy in there, his name was Phinehas. And this one, one fella came running through the camp with one of those naked women. And he saw them because they were all praying at the tabernacle. And one of the guys named Phinehas, which was a great man of God, he stood up and went after the guy with a sword and killed the guy and the girl. 
and the woman in front of all because of the Lord, because of the Lord because he stood up for the Lord and he's known for this day because he stood for God. But God does not want to tolerate sin. That's the doctrine of the, of the dead. And he says he's following the doctrine of Balaam. And that's what Balaam did. He sold out. He sold out his, his salvation for money. And he got all the riches of there, but he lost everything else. But in 2 Peter, we're going to talk about that some too as we go forward. But I wanted to bring that out first as we go through to keep this in mind. These people here in 2 Peter chapter 2 are people that live in the day that, that Peter lived. And they're also living, Peter said, in the day that we live. He said they would be false prophets that would speak against and, make, and, and speak heartily against the way of truth, he says. Uh, it says that in verse 2, many shall follow their immoral ways, like Balaam, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And we talked about that last week. And through, co through, immorality, through covetousness, through their wantonness, they shall, with uh, lying words, make merchandise of you, whose judgment have a long time lingers and damnation not. And then it goes, and then we went on and it says, God spared not the angels that sin. Do you think he'll spare you? He didn't even spare his own angels. That was God's first creation. So if he didn't even spare his own angels, certainly won't spare you. And if he spared not the whole world, but he destroyed no, with Noah and destroyed all those that sinned against him, the Bible says their thoughts were, all, they were always on evil stuff. They were always thinking bad stuff. Their, 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 whole, their hearts were corrupt. And God destroyed all of them except for Noah who was serving him and a, and a couple of people in his family. He says, he says, if you think he didn't spare them, you think he'll spare you? No. And he says, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? God destroyed all of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember we talked about that last week, how uh, God, God spared Lot and his immediate family, and he destroyed all of Sodom and Gomorrah because Lot lived amongst a bunch of people, and he says it, it troubled his soul, it vexed his soul, that he had to watch the immorality, the way that others were living, that we're living like people were living today. And it vexes our souls as Christians to be around people that curse God, that kill babies, that fornicate all the time, that commit adultery, that do all these things. It's, and we're living in the midst of that. We're living in one of the most crooked generations there's ever been. All right, let's go forth from that. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to go further. It says in verse 9 of chapter 2 that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. Let me ask you a question tonight. How, how does the Lord deliver the godly out of temptation? We see the story about Lot, how the Lord delivered him out of that, got him away from that. How, did, how are you delivered from the temptations that come into your life? Give me a scripture, somebody. First Peter chapter 5. Okay, First Peter chapter 5. Give it what, what you got. Verse 8. Okay, be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary of the devil walks about as a ruling lion, seeking whom he may devour. Can you give me another scripture? First Corinthians 10.13. Yeah. Very good, man. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Can you quote it? Can you read it? Um, there's no temptation that, that has taken you. God is faithful and just. Who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able? So, so if you look at that scripture and you you see that First Corinthians ten thirteen, a very important scripture, and we talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, your situation is not unique. You, you're going through temptations. You have things that come through your mind. You got darts that's coming there. You have cravings of your body, a 
or your flesh. But they're not unique. We all have that. The difference is, is what you do with that. The Bible says, it says, no temptation of Satan, but such is coming to man. But God is faithful, thank God, who will not, he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. You say, well, I feel like I'm being tempted beyond what, you, what I'm able. It's the only reason is because you continue through practice habits of, of doing those things over and over where you become almost like addicted to or in bondage to. And God, let me tell you one other thing. God is not interested if you haven't come to a full place of repentance of just freeing you up from one sin in your life. We, you'll see that with drug addicts. You know, well, I want, to, I want to quit doing drugs, but I don't want to quit fornicating. God wants you your whole heart. He wants your whole life, not part of it. He said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are past, and all things become new. So when God is faithful, he'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So if you take the way of escape that God makes every time, you'll never see it. But because that's what the Word of God says, right? God is, God is faithful. He's true. But you see, it's not just saying, well, you know what people say over and over again, and I used to say myself, I used to say, well, man, I don't know why God let me do that. I don't know why God didn't help me to get through that. You ever heard that? Oh, yeah. I said it in my past. Well, it wasn't God. It was you. <laughs> it was your choice. You loved that sin more than you loved God. That was the problem. Because the scripture says in Hebrews 12, 4, you have not yet resisted sin to the shedding of blood. That Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, oh, wake up to righteousness and quit sinning. You must quit. You don't wait for God to make you quit. God gives you a choice. If you want to sin, you're going to sin. I made big mistakes in my life thinking, well, you know, I'm praying that, that God will keep that person from sin. God's not going to keep that person from sin. God will never take away your choice. You have the choice whether to sin or not to sin. And when you make the choice not to, God's going to help you. But he's not going to do it. He says, draw near to me, and then what? And then I'll draw near to you. It takes, it's a synergy between that you do with God. Go ahead, Don. Um, James 4.10 says, uh, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Amen. Amen. That's a promise. That's exceeding great and precious that's, promise. That's a rescue, too. Amen. Hello. Yeah, man. Yeah, when you... Um, and what is humbling yourself, it's really uh, one of the ways to humble yourself is, and you've heard this before, called, is to humble yourself to God's word. God, you're right and I'm wrong. <laughs> right? Right? You're right and I'm wrong, God. I'm, I'm the one that messed up, so I'm the one that needs to stop doing that. I'm the one that has to decide that. God doesn't take your choice away. So that, that's important to understand. That was important to understand in my life of realizing that, you know what, he's calling me to repent. It's He's all, not going to repent for me. It's also important to like to actually identify the way of escape, because I think that people that are just new to the faith, they may not even be able to identify the way of escape, because they're not used to taking the way of escape. Absolutely. And so I think it would have for them to actually know what the way of escape truly is, you know. And so that takes more studying as well. And, well, West, I mean, essentially, we talked about a way. There, there are ways to escape uh, in taking that, that that way. 
But one way is that's important, and I think many people have trouble with this, and I talk to people over and over again and say this over and over again and learned it in my life, that when you're having thoughts that are coming at you and they're bombarding you and you're giving in to those thoughts and you're like, I don't know what to do with these thoughts, I fight these thoughts, they just keep coming. Scripture is explicit on giving us what to do in those cases. And in those cases, the, uh, the scripture gives about, I, I can think of seven or eight of them right now that we talked about. Uh, the scripture says, first of all, in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, even though we walk in the flesh in these bodies, we don't war after the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't try to physically fight those things off. But the weapons of our warfare are, are mighty through God to the pulling down of those strongholds. Casting down imaginations and, 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 and every high thing and bringing every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing to do when it comes at you is to pull that down. Uh, brother, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to add um, the way of escape that God gives us is his grace. Um, the perversion of grace today, and even talks about in the book of Jude, is that people will come in. Uh, and uh, and give make God's grace a license to sin, where He doesn't see our sin. However, the what great what God's grace truly is is to teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And we are workers together with God that we may not uh, receive the grace of God in vain. So it's His grace that is the way of escape. Let's, let's take that a little bit further. As Nick said, that was very important what he said. If you would, uh, while you're in 2 Timothy, turn to the book of Titus so that you have an understanding of what, what grace is. And I'll turn it back to you, Wesley. Titus chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 2 of Titus, uh, verse, verse 11. We'll start there. Uh, this is what the grace of God is. A lot of people like to say, well, the grace of God is just God's favor or unmerited favor to give to you of uh, and and that you get this free, and that it, it's, it's just the grace, and God overlooks your sin, and, and and that you just get this free free gift of overlooking. But let's see what the grace really is from the definition of what the Bible says the grace is, like Nick said. It says in verse, 12, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So first of all, God's grace is there for everybody. Chapter He's willing that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, that's right, verse 11. He's, and he says he's, he's called all men to salvation, especially those that believe. You have a question? Yeah, Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 9. In fact, go down to, I think, 13. And do not where the Lord tells you. This is like a, a, an example prayer. He tells you how we're supposed to pray. Yeah. We glorify the Father first and so forth. But then when he says, But go back to, 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 to Titus chapter 2. So it's the grace of God that, that, that appears to, uh, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What's, what's the grace of God do? The grace of God is not passive. It's actually active. And it says, what does it do? It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope of the Lord who gave himself for us. 
So it teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly like God. So it really, it really, grace is a big is, is really a big thing because it's it's active. It, it's what teaches you not to sin, uh, brother brother West. Yeah, it teaches you. That's that's what the grace is there for to teach you. In uh, in Isaiah twenty six ten to go along with that, it says, "Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness." So grace is when it's shown to the wicked. It's to teach you, but the wicked is going to stay wicked, so yet he won't learn righteousness. And that's a good scripture. And in James chapter uh, uh, 4 that we were talking about, um, you know, God resists the proud. This is verse 6, but it, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the grace that he gives to the humble is what? Verse 7 is what he, what he gives. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee to you, flee from you. So you submit to God by submitting to his word. Sure. And if his word says to not sin, to awake to righteousness and not sin, and then it gives the list of what are the works of the flesh, then there's power in his word. And that's the grace, that's the knowledge that keeps you from those things. And then you go over to John chapter uh, 4, verse or John chapter 5, verse 18, it says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. So this is this is what you do in the midst of, of a trial and temptation. Keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. I mean, that's a power, powerful verse because it shows that who keeps who? Does God keep you? No, you keep you. You keep keeps your... Keep, keeps himself and we know that we are of God and the whole world. So the world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the son of God has, uh, has come and has given us what understanding. There's the, the knowledge. The son gives us understanding. That's the knowledge that you keep yourself from sin and, and who, who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. That is true and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. So God's not going to keep you from it. He's not going to keep you from idols. He's not going to keep you from sin. You have to keep yourself. But that's the knowledge that he gives you, and that's the grace. Yeah, you see what happens a lot of times is someone will think, well, I've got to wait for God to do it all. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's a misconception. And, and, and others may think, well, I'm, I'm going to do it all. And that's a misconception, too. It's a synergy between you and God. That God is doing what you draw near to him. What's he doing? He's drawing near to you. You, you turn from sin, he, he, he's going to be there with you. He's going to, him who's able to keep you from falling, present you before his with great joy and exceeding joy. So there's, there's, there's both sides, but you can get on one side and depend on the other, or you can be balanced. The false balance is an abomination with God, but it's, but it's a balance of those two. You have your part to do. And that's, and that's what the Word of God talks about. Let's go back to verse 9 of chapter 2. It says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, we talked about, and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and, dis and, and despise government or despise authority. They don't want to submit to any authority. Presumptuous are they or bold are they. They're self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of 
authority. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not reveling accusations against before the Lord. But these are natural brute, brute beasts like wild animals made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things they don't understand and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, of sin. As they that kind of pleasure to riot in, day, in daytime, they don't need, they're bold enough to even live like that in front of everybody else. But it says here, listen closely, it says, spots are they, they are, and blemishes. So they're not without spot. They're not without blemish. They're the opposite of that. They are spots and blemishes. They are living in sin, but they want to lure people in. And we'll go further as we go further. It says they end up promising people liberty, freedom, but they themselves are bond servants of, cor of corruption. And they want to tell you, you're, you can live in sin and still make it to heaven. That's what they're actually, and they speak evil of the true way of walking in righteousness and holiness. These are speaking evil. We are living in that day. You, you can hardly find anyone, any, anybody out there or any church, I can't find any of them, you know, hardly. Uh, I mean, I mean, no one or two in, in the world, you know. But if, if that means, but most will are telling people, you come forward to the Lord, forward to this altar, you accept the Lord, and ask Him to come in your heart, ask Him to forgive you, and you're saved. The Bible doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says that in, in Hebrews 12, 11, it says, without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. Hebrews 5, 9 says, He's the author of eternal salvation to obey Him. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, my wife's favorite scripture. It says, judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it, and if it begin at us, what shall be of those that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ? For if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? But we're having people telling people, and that's what it's talking about here. It's going to tell you that they're in your love feast. That means they're in church with you. They're rubbing shoulders with you. They're saying they're Christians. They're playing their Christian music, supposed to be. But there's a little other stuff mixed in. Every one of them you'll go talk to, you'll say, hey, are you living without sin? Of course not. Nobody can live without sin is what they'll tell you. You know, I'll sin till the day I die. I'm saved by the grace of God. When we just heard what the grace of God was, the grace of God is what teaches you not to sin. They say that the grace of God is a way to sin. Now watch this, because these two books go together. Second Peter chapter 2 and Jude really kind of coincide. So the, one of the last books, the book before the, uh, before the book of Revelation, is the book of Jude. It's only one chapter long, and it's written to those that are sanctified, to those that are holy and walking in righteousness and holiness before the Lord. And I want you to hear what Jude says about this, because he talks, he's talking about the same people here. He says in verse 3, he says, Beloved, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You know what the, the devil wants you to do and what other people are to get, trying to get you to do? Shut up. Don't tell anybody what you, about their sin. Don't confront anybody. Don't expose anybody. That's just hate. Just love everybody the way the world calls love, like the puppy dog love. But that's not real love. Because they want to say, well, don't tell anybody because they're going to get mad at you. They're going to hate you. Just let them alone because it's going to make them feel bad and you're going to offend them and that's real harsh. <laughs> if Jesus would have done that, they would have never hung him on the cross. If Stephen would have done that, they'd have never stoned him to death. 
If Paul would have done that, he would, he would have never been suffering all, all his life for the gospel's sake. You want to enjoy this, this world? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says the woman that lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. If you're living in your own pleasure, you're dead while you live. You don't even, you're not even alive. What the scripture says, 1 Timothy chapter 5. So we don't live after ourselves, but we live unto the Lord. If you want to live after yourself, you're going to perish. You're not going to make it to heaven. Don't kid yourself. You need to wake up to righteousness. You need to come alive again. And he'll quicken you. And you'll walk in his righteousness. But it says here, he says, I want you to earnestly, that means earnestly means what? Cedric? It means with everything you got, right? Do it with all your heart. Earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. What was delivered to him? He says, for there are certain men, men sometimes mean men or women, crept in unaware, deceiving. They, they're, they're, they come in secretly. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of God. And, and Nick said, I know you brought this out, Nick. Turning the grace of God, of our God, into lasciviousness or a license to sin. That's exactly what they're doing now. They're saying, oh, you get to grace? That's a license to sin. You can go ahead and sin and you're still going to heaven. That's saying it's a license to sin. It's a license to lasciviousness. The grace is not that. The grace is what teaches you to die on godliness. It's not teaching you that you can sin and you're okay. Go ahead, Wes. Yeah, you see, Peter is saying, you know, they, they secretly bring in destructive heresies. They're, they're not easily seen. And then you see, like what you brought up in Jude, that same concept. They creep in. They, you know, they, they're, they're, they creep into your love feast. You don't actually see them because they might go right out and say it. They might pull people secretly aside and try to feed into this, you know, just an easy leaveism gospel. And I know Don has, has dealt with that. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, it talks about perilous times will come. And it says, you know, it gives the same list. Men will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God, self-willed, proud. gives an entire list of people that want to live in the flesh. It says, of these sorts. So this is the same type of people. Of these sorts for those who creep. So they creep in household and take captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. So they're preying on these people that may have just come to the faith or they themselves are just learning what the truth is. They prey on them because why? Because they, they by covetousness, they want to captivate them and they want to pull them into their doctrine of lawlessness and sin. Why? Because they want to ease their own conscience. They don't want to live holy. It's like the Pharisees. They don't enter in, and then they keep everybody else from entering in. That, that reminds me, uh, Wes, about in, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus was spoke, speaking to the religious leaders of that day. And the religious leaders of our day are much like that. And he said, you'll, you, you'll cross land and sea to make one proselyte to get somebody to think like you do. And when you make him a problem, when you when you when he's changed and he walked with you, then you make him twofold the child of hell than you yourselves are, and that's what you, they end up doing. They'll go all over and they'll they'll preach their doctrine of you of all you need to do is do this prayer with me and you're good to go. Ben calls it he got a free ticket, 
and you get your ticket stamp, and and uh, and and you're good to go. And they'll go all over the world, and they're all over the world preaching that false doctrine. And just like the Lord said, you making and they're making people twofold the child of hell. Why? Because when the person ends up sinning, they think they're okay in their sin, and they, and their conscience becomes seared because they've done the sin so many times, it doesn't even bother them anymore. You know, when you sin, that should uh, hopefully it convicts you. It makes you feel really, really bad. You know, so, so the person will, will come to that repentance and stop. Okay, but going back to 2 Peter chapter 2, it says, uh, let's go down to verse, <clears throat> we, took, we ended verse 13, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, and they counted pleasure to write in the daytimes, spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. That means they're saying they're Christians. They're saying they're your brothers and sisters. But they do it, but they, they spots and blemishes. They don't even think they can quit sin. They think they're always supposed to be with, with spots and blemishes. For some reason, they think there's going to be some uh, deal when they get, get to, uh, to judgment that they're going to be changed into another person and be a real good person then. When you really think about it, it's kind of crazy. You're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not Don Smith anymore. I get over there and I'm Don Juan or whatever, you know? And you're thinking, well, you're a whole different person and you, uh, you, don't, you don't sin anymore. No, you, sin must stop here. You're not going to change and metamorphosically change into something else. When you get there, now is the time to change and become a new creature. Is that true? Revelation 22, verse 13. Yeah. Revelation 22, 13, and nothing abominable shall enter there. And no sin shall enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. No sin. Yeah, that's verse 27, bro. But, but verse 13 says that, uh, that if you die righteous, you shall be judged righteous. But if you die filthy, you mm. shall be judged Yeah, that's God. That's good. So. Yeah, amen. amen. Uh, but here it says, uh, verse, verse 14. 14. I want you to look. Yeah, I know you've been waiting on that verse. Huh? Verse 14. Listen what, ha what they have. Having eyes full of adultery. And that can't stop sinning. This is what they want. In other words, they, they got... Adultery, fornication in their mind all the time. Carnal. Not just adultery to God, but adultery, carnality in their mind all the time. And they can't stop sinning. Well, should, that, should that be something that, uh, uh, that you should just blink over and say, well, nobody can stop sinning? That's what somebody would say, right? Then why even make the mention of it they can't stop sinning? Because it's important that sin does stop. Having eyes full of and and what they do is they beguiling, they're 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 luring weak souls, the ones that are weak. How many times we've seen that where someone will start to come along and start to come out, then they'll get with somebody that tells them these lies, and they want to believe the lie rather than the truth because they can do what they want to do. Bottom line, they can go do their sin and think they got God too. I like to uh, um, Wes always mentions the back of the, the scripture. You can't serve two masters. You'll either hate one or you'll love the other. Just to add to what you said too about um, resisting the devil and also like taking away of escape and uh, crucifying the flesh and everything like that. It starts with that person in order to cast those thoughts down and to bring them to captivity, like you were talking about earlier. It first begins with that person actually having a desire to cast them down. 
because if they don't even have a desire to cast him mm. down or to cast him away from him, even though it says to do that, in their mind, like thinking carnal, thinking carnality, they wouldn't even be able to fathom how to even capture a dart or to pass it down if they have no desire to cast it down to begin with. Mm -hmm. So that person actually, that's where Galatians 5 actually comes in. That person crucifying their flesh, changing their mind, going through repentance, and through that repentance stage, obeying the Lord and his doctrine after that repentance, that during that repentance stage, purifying your heart so that you can actually understand and do what it's, it's saying to do. But a person can't do what they're saying to do with a carnal mind. That's mm -hmm. why you have to mm -hmm. Change foolishness, foolishness to a yeah. I was going to just say that, um, you know, living in the world and, and, and people around, I see a form of godliness. Um, and, but deny, and that's scripture, a form of godliness, deny all the power. It's real simple. It has to be number one. It has to be priority. You have to sacrifice time that you want to paint that's so precious to seek in his word. Because, okay, so I mentor one of these guys. I had like seven at one time. I got like one that's really a walking in truth. Because they come in with a humble spirit. They want to do things different. And then they start getting some stuff and getting their life back in the track. And they totally forget about that place that they were at in the beginning. This, the number this, one thing is and they're not spending time with God. This is the question. And both of you guys said it. What's going to cause a person desire. to come to a place? Where they have that kind of desire. It has to be uh, What's going to cause? And, and I'm talking to some here even tonight that get, uh, or maybe on YouTube or Skype. What's going to? What's it going to take to finally get you to really have the desire to lay everything down, to really put put away that sin in your life that so easily besets you? Brokenness. Brokenness. God is sorry. Huh? What happened? Okay. You know, uh, that's a good question. Nick, you want to say something on that? Yeah, I want to add uh, one of the scriptures here that, that you know, wake me up. You quoted, you quoted something earlier was in um, uh, Hebrews 10, uh, 26, where if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. But if you were reading uh, in verse 29 of how much what punishment you suppose our word that trod the Son of God your foot, count blood the cup, a sanctified, a unholy thing, and you despise the spirit of grace. And you insult the spirit of grace if you sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. And the word for spirit here, the same word used for Holy Spirit. And then it keeps going, which actually ties into my favorite scripture in first uh, Peter chapter four it says for if we know him has said vengeance belong it to me I will recompense saith the Lord and again the Lord shall judge his people for it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living wow. God wow yeah second second Peter uh, Peter was writing to refuse the antinomian uh, teachings that were coming in antinomians believed and they taught that because we're saved by grace through faith that the moral law of God is no longer applies to us uh, and that's exactly what he's refuting here in the book of Jude as well and you hear that today uh, you know, have been saved by grace through faith and uh, not of your own works that throw any man's post 
that's what they quote. That's like their anthem. But that's not talking about obedience and walking in holiness and righteousness and following the moral, the moral law of God. You, you know, uh, that, that's good, Nick. And, you know, I heard, I was listening to somebody, uh, it was yesterday, was talking about, and they were trying to explain Hebrews 10.26 and saying it doesn't really mean what it says. And they were saying, if you take the context of it, it doesn't mean what it says. Then Nick just gave you the context of Hebrews 10.26. When you read down, all the way down Hebrews 10.26, it says exactly what it says. <laughs> it says exactly what it means. It's a shame how people will try to twist the scriptures to their own destruction and try to make them say something they don't. But it, it, but, but it says it, and it means it because he goes on down. Like he said, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. But, but if you'll take that same thing that Nick just said in Hebrews 10 and go to Hebrews 6. Watch what you see here in Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, look, what, look what we have here. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let's go on to perfection. Let's go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of doctrines of baptisms, of laying on hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So he's saying, go, go on past that. Move on past those elementary things. Some people have to keep going. They go out and they come back and they try to go back in that. Go out and come back in, in, into this again. No, he says, go forward. Mature. And this is what we do if God forbid. If, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again. Isn't that saying almost the same thing as Hebrews 10? Why? To renew them again, unto uh, repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God all over again, and put him to an open shame. So he's, he's saying the same thing. Like, you need to move on. Because if you go back and you sin willfully, and you, you go this way, it's impossible once you've been enlightened and tasted to go back to that. Because you, I heard somebody, I think Sandra sent me a, a, a thing, on, there was a debate on something going on, and the person said, well, I'm just glad we can just repent and then uh, go back and sin and then repent and go back. And that's not repentance. Repentance is turning you from it and not doing it again. When you start trying to say, well, I'm asking God to forgive me, but next week I know I'm doing it again. You're not repenting. You're playing with God, and you're in trouble. Repenting is where you finally come to that place in your life. And what again, what's it going to take? Finally come to that place in your life when you say, that's enough. I've made up my mind. I'm not going that route anymore. I'm going to live for God. I want to be ready for God at whatever time. I'm going to give you one other. Go back to 2 Peter where we are, and in the same chapter we are. Because it says the same thing again that Nick was saying in, in Hebrews 10. It says, these same people, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'm going to go back and catch back up. But first of all, since in verse 19, Ben, you quoted that, uh, these same people is talking about here, these same people that are in your love feast, these same people that have eyes full of adultery and can't stop sinning, they will promise you liberty, freedom. But they themselves are in bondage to corruption, to sin. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is brought in bondage. If you're overcome by sin, I don't care what sin it is, you're in bondage to it. You're not free. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 8, and 
If you continue my word, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. And they said, well, free from what? He said, for everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You're in bondage to it. So he says, after, if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse than them as the beginning. They're returning to the dog with the vomit. The, the, they're returning to the pig pen again. And you're playing with God. You've got to once and for all say, you know what? I'm not going back. I'm going to be diligent to, to make my calling and election sure by being and in, in, in walking in the Lord. Man, start speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Start thinking of those things that are good and pure and honest. Start casting down imagination. Start resisting the devil and letting him flee for you. Start submitting yourself to God. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Start doing those things because it's not worth it to go the other way. It leads to destruction, hell and destruction. Go ahead, Wes. Yeah, that's a, a great point and a great tie-in because uh, they do promise you liberty. They promise you liberty, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. And like what I was quoting from 2 Peter chapter 3, they're ever learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of the grace of God that they truly would be changed. And so that's why they're cloaked. They, 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 they're not easily seen because they might have the right lingo. They might wear a Christian T-shirt, uh, you know, so but, but in reality, they're not really set free. Like you said, from John uh, chapter eight, you know, you, Jesus says you're a slave of, if you're a slave of sin, if you're in bondage to sin, you're serving sin. And that's why, like the scripture that you quoted earlier about two masters, you can't serve two masters. If you're serving sin, sin is your master. And that's what Romans chapter six, verse 16 says, Paul says, know you not that you, he says, you are a slave. To whom you let me see. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself, uh, yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So you can't serve two masters. It's, it's really so simple. And if you look at these verses for face value, you'll know that either I'm going to serve sin and the devil is my master, or I'm going to serve righteousness, and Jesus, God, is my master. Amen. Amen. Uh, look, let's go back to where we were also here in, um, in verse 14. It says, at the end of that, it says, the eyes full of adultery can't stop sinning. And, and maybe some of you have been there, where you, you, you've got lust in your heart, and you're, you can't stop. And you need to, and you're thinking, why? Why can't I stop? And it's because you love that sin more than you love God. Honestly. Honestly. And when you when you come to a place of realizing where that sin is going to get you, do you want to keep doing it? Do you want to keep going that way? Or do you want or do you want to change in your life? Because if you keep going on, it's, you're going to find yourself in a place that you don't want to be, and it's going to be too late. But he says, um, they've got they weak souls. They have a heart 
they have exercised with covetous practice their cursed children. So what does that mean? You know, a lot of people, you hear a lot of times people say, well, he's got a good heart. Hmm. I got two things. Let me finish this thought. Uh, or, um, you know, it's, it's all about the heart. You know, it's all about, you know, just do what your heart tells you. Yeah. Really. You know what the, my Bible says in Mark chapter 7, Carly, you know this, I know. It says that, uh, first of all, it, it, in, in chapter 17 of, of, of Jeremiah, it says the heart, is, the man's normal heart is deceitful, deceitfully wicked. No one can tame it. you got to get a new heart. But in, in Mark chapter 7, uh, they were there and, and uh, the Jesus' disciples were eating with, uh, with unwashing hands. And uh, Jesus began to tell them that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth, that defiles him. So it's not what you're eating that's going to have any effect on you spiritually, but it's what comes out of your mouth that's going to have the effect. For out of the, out of the mouth, before that, he said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you have in your heart, that's going to come out of your mouth. Whatever you have in the heart, if you if you fornicate, it's coming from your heart. If you're lying, it's coming from your heart. If you got foul language coming out of your mouth, that's coming from your heart. If you got any sin coming out of your life, it's coming from your heart. Because your heart's not right with God. And that's what these people were at here. They, they had a heart. They had exercise with covetous, with, with lust, trying to satisfy this and the pleasures of sin and the pleasures of the flesh. They were cursed. Oh, how much I tell you, if God tell you, you're a cursed child, man, because you've gone that way. Cedric, you wanted to say something? Yeah, uh, you was, we made a video about Jimmy, and in that video you were talking about how, because he's cursed, of what he's done. And when a person... Uh, preaches a different gospel than the one that Jesus preached. The scriptures clearly say that that man or whoever is cursed. That's right. And so if we look at, like Wes always say, face value with what's happening right here, we're reading that false prophets are cursed children. That's good. And we're connecting it with scripture. Obviously they're cursed because the scripture says you preach a different gospel, mm -hmm. you are really cursed. Another thing that the scripture confirms is the obeying part. How you obey, you, you slaves to whoever you obey, right? Mm -hmm. And so if a person is obeying the Lord and obviously obeying God's commandments, they're going to walk in that manner. But if they're obeying the flesh or the enemy, they're obviously going to walk in that manner. But nevertheless, it's two different children. It's the children of the devil, which is the children of disobedience. And there's a spirit that works in both. There's a spirit that works in disobedience, which is the spirit of disobedience in that child. And then there's a spirit of obedience that works in that child of obedience, in the child of, of God. And so it's two separate children. And, and I wanted to bring that out because the scripture confirmed it. No, that's good because what you're saying there in 2 Peter chapter 2 is that these people here basically have added to or taken away from the word of God. Right. And the Bible said, of cursed is he who takes adds to it, takes away, and the Bible says right here, he's calling them cursed children. Is that right? That's what you're saying? Right. Let me bring something else out along in, in that same thing. In 1 John chapter 3, uh, it's just the next book, so let's just go there. That way we, I can just read it to you. 1 John chapter 3, if you look at um, 
at verse, at verse uh, 6 there, it says, whoever abides in him, or the word abide means um, to maintain, whoever maintains, whoever continues in him, uh, does not sin. That's in the present tense. It's not that he can't sin in the future, but he does not sin. You continue. Somebody can say they're righteous because God gave me righteousness. That would be deceiving you. Somebody can say, well, you're right because of what Jesus did. You don't, you don't, it's nothing to do with what you did. That's deceiving you. Because here it says that he that does righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. If you're not doing righteousness, don't be deceived. You're not right with God. Your heart's not right. You're not going to make it. You're bound for hell. Just plain, just black and white. Look, pay attention to the next verse. Because the next verse is along with that. He said, but he that commits sin, in other words, he that doesn't do righteousness as he is righteous, is what? He's of the devil. Now, which one do you want to be of? You want to be of the devil or you want to be of God? Because he's, he's making a distinction between these two verses. The one that's doing righteousness is of God. He's just like God that does righteousness. But the one that does, that does sin, that does unrighteousness, he's of the devil. He's of the devil. And this was the whole purpose that Jesus came. Was to destroy the works of the devil. What was the work of the devil? Unrighteousness. He came to stop unrighteousness. So that you could be freed from the bondage of sin and live a righteous life. But going back to um, to Second Peter chapter three, we're going to go back to where what we two. talked about earlier. Second Peter chapter two. No, Second Peter chapter two. Yeah. Right. Did, did I say that? Said three, brother. Okay. You sound good. You keep me straight on that. Verse fifteen. He said, "These cursed children, which have forsaken the right way." And are going astray following the way of Balaam. Now you all know what the way of Balaam is because we talked about that, right? So what was the way of Balaam? They forsook the right way and they went the way of Balaam. Go back to sin. <laughs> right. Go back and, for this world. Go sell yourself out for the world. Go try to enjoy pleasure for a season. And you're selling everything out that you have in the Lord for that little bit of something that the world has to offer. What a ripoff. You kidding me? You sell out of eternity for a few years on earth, on earth to please this? This right here? Are you kidding? And then he goes on and he said, um, follow the way of Balaam, the son of a sore, who loved the wages of sin. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. You see, but if you think, if you think about it, I just, that's what I was just looking at. The scripture says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is the death. result. Yeah. Of sin is death. If you look, like if you identify wages, they love the wages. They love the result. They love the feeling. You know, the outcome. Well, but look at another one, uh, Cedric. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Right. But the gift of God is eternal life. So it doesn't matter uh, where you're standing right now. If you sin, you, have a, you get paid for that. Just like you go to work somewhere and you get some wages. Well, if you sin, you're going to get paid. What are you going to get paid? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want that paycheck. <laughs> Keep that paycheck. I want the good paycheck. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But was rebuked for his, for his sin, the, 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 the donkey, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. Now, think of this. These are wells without water. You ever go to a well... I remember I went to my grandpa's one time. He probably he 
probably had a great grandfather or whatever, and she might have gone in and said, your parents said, this is where the well was. And they have a hole way down there, and they have a kettle where you can wind it up, but it had no water in it. In other words, it looked like you could get a drink of water, you know, like you'd be th real thirsty and then all day no, nothing to drink. And you, hey, there's a well over there. Let me go over there and get some water. And you bring the, bring the bucket up and it's dry. They just look like Christians, but there's no substance in them. They're empty. They have an outward look of being righteous. It's kind of like a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. They appear righteous, Jesus said, on the outside, but inwardly they're like tombs, whitewashed tombs. They look like they're good, but they, they're not. Wells without water that are carried with a tempest, or clouds that are carried with a tempest to in the midst of darkness is reserved forever. Ever see a cloud coming over me? You say, man, it's going to rain. Big old dark cloud coming. But nothing comes out. Yep. An empty cloud. That's like some people are. They look like they are. But then you follow them around a little while, and they find out that you, oh, man, was I wrong about that cloud? Was I wrong about that well? And when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they are lured through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from the, him who live in error. And then, of course, it goes while they promise them liberty. They themselves. Notice it says that God doesn't promise them. Like, God's not making this promise. We just talked about the promises of God. And these are the promises of these guys. But I've, I've heard of uh, Cedric in, in certain places and all. I've heard him singing songs. I'm free, I'm free. And I've even asked him, I said, you're singing that song, you're free. What are you free from? They said, well, I'm free to sing. I'm free to dance. No, that's not what the scripture's talking about being free from. Because they can't say, I'm free from sin, because they don't believe that. But, this, but the word says, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He's talking about sin. You're to be free from. Seven. Where else? trying to click the microphone one time so you can actually hear me. Uh, yeah, just to go along with what you're saying, it, it gives a similar list in Jude. It, obviously, these are the spots in your love feast, and you quote it from there. While they, while they feast with you without fear, but the characteristic is they're serving only themselves. So that's, that, that's what they're about. They're about serving only themselves, like these Mega ministries or these big ministries are just wanting you to buy the material. They want you to come to their revival meetings or whatever next thing that they have to offer you and you have to pay money to get in there. They're serving only themselves. And they are clouds without water carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit. They look like a tree that's supposed to have fruit on it in the late autumn, it's but they don't have fruit on it. I'm sorry, I just they don't. The word. Verse 12 of Jude, go ahead. Yeah, they don't have fruit on them. It's like the tree that when Jesus went and he whipped the, the, the people out of the temple, the money changers, I think it's in between him being in the temple and then going back outside of the city before he came back into Jerusalem. There's a story where he sees a tree and all it has is leaves. It doesn't, it has, it's the season for figs, but there's no figs. There's no fruit. And when we're talking about fruit, we're talking about the fruit of the spirit. Love, peace, joy, meekness, kindness, self-control. You know, that's what people are supposed to have in their lives, in their conduct, 
but from afar off, they got a bunch of leaves on them. They just got a bunch of words that maybe they'll tell you and say they're a Christian, but the fruit's not there. And what did Jesus do? He cursed the tree. He said, let, let no man eat fruit of you again. And, you know, maybe it was a symbolism of, seemed to be a symbolism of the Jews of that day and the, the you know, the all, all the stuff that they had to say. Because externally, like the Pharisees, they're whitewashed without, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. They're, they're, they're whitewashed tombs. They're whitewashed sepulchers is what he calls them because they're not truly living different. They don't have, they're not the good tree that's bearing bad fruit. They're the bad tree that bears bad fruit. It, it also, I want to bring in that verse you tell me, because this is very, very similar in Jude, Jude here of what we just read in Second Peter. And the scripture he was reading in verse 12, let me, let me add to that a little bit. It says their fruit, fruit withered, and they without fruit. They don't have any fruit. They're twice dead. What does that mean, twice dead? We just talked about how uh, they're dead while they're living. Right. <laughs> so they, they twice okay, dead. Okay, but really twice dead is, is they, came, they, they died to themselves once. They repented of their salvation. That's, uh, second, that's, that's the second death. Yeah. You see, when you're twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Now, if you really want to kill a plant, you're, you've been in praying you know all about plants, uh, Jacob. If you pluck it up by the roots, it ain't coming back, is it? Second, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Man, would you want to be in that condition? I'll tell you where that, that, that condition is talked about. In, in Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment, it said there's going to be those that come there pray to God that there's nobody in this room. And he, said, and, he, and he said, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up, and the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second dead, death. See, that's twice dead. They don't, there's no coming back. Nick? Yeah, I just, I want to add to, and you read the scripture on 1 John chapter 3, um, the measuring stick. I mean, right after he talks about those who sins is of the devil, um, he talks about the measuring stick of how we are that we have the spirit of God. Love. Jesus says that must love God with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors. We love ourselves. And in verse eleven of First John chapter three, right after he says, "Those who sins is of the devil," he says, "For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another." We know that, and in verse fourteen, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And in verse 16, he describes what that looks like. Practical wisdom. Hereby perceive that we love of that we we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brother. Well, that's what that looks like. People are like, well, what does that really look like in my life? Well, that's what it looks like. It breaks it down. Very simple. Yeah. If we're walking in true love, we're not sinning. Right. If we're sitting, we're not truly in love. And it's, it's basically, it's pretty much that simple. Yeah, Nick, also in, in chapter 2, in verse 10, it says this. It says, he that loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. So he doesn't, he never sins. He's walking in righteousness continuously. 
You're right. Uh, we were talking about that yesterday, about love being the fulfillment of the law. So um, I, I just wanted to share with you, go back and read the book of Jude with what we talked about tonight because it basically is talking the same thing as Second Peter. They tie in completely th together. Um, before we close out, I was wondering, does anybody have any questions thus far of anything or need any help with anything? Brian, you okay? Carly, you okay? Everybody, everybody good? Okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. Everybody, anybody else have any comments on uh, Skype? Any of them? Okay. Praise the Lord. And get up here. Basically, her question is, how does, like, the, well, the scripture says that tonight even pray for somebody who is committing a sin or a death in 1 John 5. But she's asking, how do you pray for somebody that's committing those sins? I would simply pray that God gives them some nightmares to do what I do. <laughs> Shows himself in hell, you know. It says the goodness of God leads a man to repentance. But he's right. In 1 John chapter 5, it also says that there's sins that are sins under death and sins that are not under death. And he says some that, that he said, I would that you didn't even pray for. And there's been people out of my life that the Lord has done that, that certain thing. But if the Lord is directing you to, you know, uh, pray for somebody, then uh, I normally, when I, I normally ask the Lord to or turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that they have so miserable that they'll uh, wake up or they'll have nightmares of hell so they'll uh, wake, wake up. But uh, ultimately, it's that person's choice. You can't, I don't care, you can say all the prayers in the world, and you're not going to make that person make a choice to. They have to have their own experience, and they have to make their own choice of whether to serve God or not. It's hard to see you grind all it up like that. Huh? It's a hard thing to see your own grind all over. Yeah, sure. And but Jesus said that, he said, he said, even in your own houses in Matthew 10, that, You'd have mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. You'd have all those that never stand against you. And he said, because I didn't come to bring peace, but I came as a sword. You know, and that uh, there would be those that would persecute you for righteousness' sake. You just keep walking the walk, and you just uh, know, be assured in your heart that God's going to give them every opportunity to uh, to make things right. And but ultimately, it's their choice, yeah. whatever it is. It took me a long time to learn that. <laughs> gets me even worse is my daughter she she doesn't want to say anything to her child so well, first of all I, I is, your, is, is your daughter even right with God to be able to say anything so that's the next thing where's yeah. it coming from oh she has when I listen to you on here it's like she comes in the kitchen and she's doing stuff and she's listening <laughs> she wants to hear what you have to say but she's not going to actually sit with me to listen yeah it's like this morning.
praise the Lord. Is God good? He's good. I'm going to sing this song. It's so simple. Everybody can sing it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the scripture says in verse 5, it says to examine yourselves, to prove your own selves whether you be in the faith. And in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, they were coming together and they were doing what we're doing tonight. They were having communion and breaking bread together. And uh, there were some folks that were coming there and they were eating all the goods before people got there and they were not discerning the body of Christ that they had sent in their life. And it's important to examine yourself because it says that uh, because they were taking the communion and they weren't, weren't right in their hearts that uh, many of them became sick and some slept among them. It's kind of like the same story about Balaam, how when they turned to sin, uh, some terrible things came upon them. Sickness and death is what came upon them. So uh, before you take the communion, I want you to examine yourself and uh, make sure that you're in the faith. Hopefully, if you're not, I hope you do so tonight and make things right with God now and turn to the Lord to repent. It, it can either take uh, a minute or it can take a year, but uh, repentance must take place in your hearts. And I pray that for every one of you because I don't want to see anyone miss the kingdom of heaven. And that's why we meet together so we can encourage one another, so we can hear the word together and we can help one another uh, in the Lord. We are a body here, a body of Christ, all of us, and we need each other. 
We need to hear from each other. We need to be together. We need to feast together. And I love feast, that's what we read tonight. And we need to live in harmony and peace and be of the same mind and be encouragement to one another. So Jesus was there like us. He was there in a room with, it was, uh, with his 12 disciples. And he was getting ready to go to the cross. He was getting ready to go to that garden where he prayed, Father, if it be your will, let not this cup come let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because he knew there would be such hardship of what he went through and what he had gone through for us. And while he was there, he, he, he said, I'm going to eat this and drink this of you, uh, not, until, not again until, uh, until after his resurrection. But he said, that, so this was going to be like the last supper they had uh, in this Passover. So when he was there, he took his disciples and they all, all were there with him in one accord. And he took the bread and he broke it and he lifted it up. And he said, uh, this is my body that I give for you. Matter of fact, he said in John chapter 6, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. So he said, I want you to eat of me tonight. I want you to take my flesh and eat it. And he took it, he lifted it up, and he says, take it and eat it, all of you. In Jesus' name. And after they had done so, he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the New Testament. The blood that is shed for you, for the forgiveness and the remission of your sins. And he says, I want you to drink it. Jonathan, Jonathan, I hadn't heard from you much tonight. Would you mind closing in prayer, brother? This is Jonathan. Yes, sir. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for another time together in the Lord. And we just thank you for the, uh, the fellowship. We thank you for the, the word that we heard tonight, Lord. Help us to be lights, Lord, and help us to encourage others in the faith. And we just thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf.